Lord, I pray that your spirit would come now and anoint him. Make him so aware of your presence. And may we be people listening for what you have to say to us to act on, on your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Chris. Well, friends, it's really good to see you. And uh, a special welcome from me to any visitors or anybody who's new this evening. It's great to have you with us. We are um, doing a short series in the book of Nehemiah. So if you've got a Bible and want to turn to that, do so. Uh, If you want to grab a Bible from the back, if you haven't got one, feel free uh, to do so. That was great to hear, wasn't it, some of those stories of what went on yesterday. Uh, Really good that uh, we were able to do those projects. I was involved in a project as well. And it's just terrific when you leave at the end of the day and you think, that really has made a difference. A project we were in, uh, there was nobody in the home, but the neighbor came out and invited all the team down for coffee and tea. I think she really appreciated the fact that something was being cleared up. And uh, that was my little fellow with a pickaxe uh, in the video. Um, So, Nehemiah, uh, let me just set the scene for you. So if you've not been here, you can catch up. Nehemiah is this guy who's got a real heart for God and a real heart for God's people. And he wants uh, God's people to follow God. And uh, he hears news of God's people in Jerusalem. And uh, they're living in Jerusalem in ruins. Jerusalem is in ruins. The walls are in tatters. People have begun to live for themselves. They, they've stopped being this collective people of God. And they've become a set of individuals focused on their own needs and desires. And uh, Nehemiah hears of this uh, broken down community and uh, their lost sense of uh, togetherness, their lost sense of a call from God, uh, and the fact that they're just existing in a sense. So in in, in chapter 1 we read that when Nehemiah hears that news, he himself breaks down, but he breaks down to pray and to fast and to ask for God's help to restore God's people. Uh, Having heard that, uh, he then Uh, Here's God say, will you go and do something about it? So he steps up to the plate, heads off to Jerusalem with the king's blessing and uh, seeks to begin to rebuild the walls. More than that, he seeks to begin to rebuild community, to try and pull this group of people who are living very separate lives to come back together and say, look, this is about togetherness. This is about what we can achieve together. And... uh, 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 when they start building, they face discouragement. People come in and say, you're, no, you're never going to do it. Uh, you can't possibly do this task. The task is too big for you to do anything about. He overcomes that discouragement and uh, wins the favor of the people. And they continue building, working with their swords by their side in case others come to discourage them in the same way. And then as they're doing that, and we looked at this last week, they began to notice that uh, since they'd lived for so long as individuals, there'd been this inequality grown up in the community. Some have become very well off. Some have become very poor. And uh, when he starts pulling them back together as a people of God, they begin. It, it begins to show up the inequalities in the people and to say, and they begin to 
complain and to say, look, how come it is that this person's making so much and we're not making enough and some of us have had to sell our children into slavery to pay the debts off to our other people in the community who have um, ripped us off in different ways, made the most of this chaotic society that we've been living in. And he, uh, Nehemiah says this is not in, not good and he um says that they have to repay any interest they've charged on loans. They've got to release people from their debts and they have to work together to build, uh, to see society rebuilt. And so they're, they're really motoring on now. They've had discouragement, they've had opposition and, and they continue to press through with the things of God. And then we get to chapter 6. And no longer is it just discouragement, no longer is it far-off threats, but they start coming uh, home uh, into uh, the people, a real turning point uh, in the book. And they begin to face significant opposition from outside. Not just the discouragements as before, but real tension and anger and then action from other communities round and about. And the reason for this is because community has begun to come back together. And when a community works together, you really do see change happen. You really do see life begin to take a different perspective. Um, I was uh, thinking about this this afternoon and um, uh, uh, remember having a, um, a conversation with uh, a friend of mine. His name's Brian Dirksen. And he was telling me about... Um, the Amish community, of how they so work as a community that, uh, you know, when a, when a young couple decide they're going to get married, the community give the blessing upon that, they all then go and build them a house. Because if we've got a house, they need a house. And so they give it, provide a house for them. Uh, whatever we've got, you can have as well. Whatever's ours is yours. It's described, isn't it, in, um, in Acts uh, uh, chapter 2 is this, uh, the, the people of God living together, sharing what resources they have, helping those who have none, seeking to help those who are in need. Something, a little bit of what we were trying to do yesterday. To, to every project and person that we visited to say, you count. You're worth it. And we think you're great. And we've got some resources and some time here and we'd love to share him with you. Uh, in the hope, there's no um, demand, but in the hope that they might see something of the light of Christ that shines through our hearts. So, so the people outside are building up opposition because Nehemiah's rebuilt this community and, and, and they've become, as a community, this stronger unit and they become a threat to other people. All people perceive them as being a threat. Ah, oh, these, are, these are a group of people that are working together. They could be a real threat to us. If they attacked us, if they decided to do something, they really could overpower us. So let me read it to you. Nehemiah chapter 6. Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I'd finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we'd not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sambalat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet one of them on the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized that they were plotting 
to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Sambalant's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me that it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you're building a wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports he've appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is the king of Judah. You can be sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come over and talk with me. I replied, there's no truth in any part of your story or making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that we could, they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Later, I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the grandson of Mehetabel, and was confined, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. Remember, O oh God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sambalat have done. And remember Nadiah, the prophet, and all the prophets like her who've tried to intimidate me. So on October the 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun, when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. And during those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because of his father-in-law, because his father-in-law was Shechaniah, son of Ara, and his son, Jehanan, was married to the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds, and then they told him everything I'd said, and Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. Well, that's some finish, actually, to the reading, isn't it? The walls were rebuilt after 52 days. Here's the context. The people of God have been living amongst the ruins for 80 years. 80 years. 80 years because they've been focused on themselves. They've been focused on their own need. They've been focused on what they could get. And in so doing, they created a society where some had become rich, some had become poor, some were abusing others in that way. They created a society that was quite selfish in its outlook. And so for 80 years, they'd lived in this way, everybody looking after their own interests. And when Nehemiah comes along and says, look, stop this. Stop just thinking about yourself and start thinking about somebody else. Start thinking about your brothers and sisters. Start thinking about others in your community. Start sharing what you've got with those in need. Let's do something together. And what they weren't able to achieve in, 82, in 80 years, they were able to achieve in 52 days. Because they had a leader who said, let's think about others. Let's not just think about ourselves. They became a community 
of people again focused on the calling of God in their lives. Well, what are some of the big themes that come out of this for us? Just a couple of things uh, briefly. The first thing is this. Something worth having is worth fighting for. Something worth having is worth fighting for. That's what Nehemiah was doing. He could have easily given up. He could have gone back uh, to the uh, king of Babylon. He could have gone back and uh, taken up again his very good job and, and lived in a very nice house with his own servants in luxury. He could have gone back and just looked after himself. But, but something worth having, seeing other people blessed, seeing others achieve their potential in life, seeing others looked after is worth having, is worth fighting for. You can put any number of life situations in that, under that statement. Something worth having is worth fighting for. If you're married and you're going through issues, your marriage is worth fighting for. If you're single and have got friendship issues, your friendships are worth fighting for. Your family is worth fighting for. The principles by which you live your life, they're worth fighting for. The values that you hold so dear, they're worth fighting for. A cause that that is on your heart, that's worth fighting for. Something worth having is worth fighting for. And for Nehemiah, the thing that was worth fighting for was the rebuilding of the community of the church. The rebuilding of the community of the people of God. I think that is still worth fighting for today. I think it is so worth fighting for. We, we, we in some way still um, take into our, having our own mindset. You know, it's, we've got to think about ourselves. It's what I get out of this, how I feel about it. But actually, community says, I'll prefer others to myself. I'll put others first. Jesus said it this way in Mark 10. Verse 45, he said this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're we're to pour our lives out for other people. That was what was demonstrated to us. That was the example of Jesus. That's what we're to do. We're to pour our lives out that others would know uh, God loves them in their own lives. So Nehemiah says, this is worth fighting for. I believe it is still worth fighting for. And uh, he's come up against this opposition and they send him this uh, Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab and the rest of their enemies it says. There's obviously a whole load of them. Um, come up against him and they've, they're, they're saying, you know, come and visit us on the plain of Ono. I think it's a great name. You know, you just really don't want to go there, do you? Oh no. No, we don't want to go to Ono because it's going to be bad news at Ono. We don't want to go to Ono. I think there's some great names in the Bible. I was thinking they have some great names, you know. Um, uh, uh, we're going up to Ur. I think that's a great name. Abraham went up to Ur, didn't he? Uh, oh, no. And I was thinking, actually, there's still some quite interesting names of villages around England. If you can think of them yourself, I won't repeat them. But uh, we have some funny names as well. But these guys are going, come meet us on the plain of Ono. And uh, he says, I realized they were plotting to harm me. They were plotting to do damage. They wanted to stop the work that I was doing. And so I said, why should I stop working when I can meet with you? Four times they sent the same message. Then the fifth time they sent an open letter. What does that do? And the open letter says, oh, you're going to make yourself king, are you? Oh, you've placed a prophet somewhere that's going to shout about you. 
you've done all of this. Of course, it wasn't true. But as soon as it's in a letter, as soon as somebody else says it, you know when someone comes up to you and says, have you heard? Do you know? Now, I heard that so-and-so. What damage that does. Gossip does so much damage. It can take away the rebuilding of community and society. I think gossip steals things from people. It steals people's reputation. It steals what, what is really important in people's lives. This uh, open letter was meant to uh, get people who are reading it, who are going through all the different villages, to think that uh, perhaps Nehemiah was too big for his boots and uh, he was just doing it for himself. He, write, he, he responds very quickly. He says, I'm, I'm not having any of that and I am not doing this for myself. He comes out against the opposition and he says, no, this is really important. Notice that the opposition firstly comes in a very overt way. It comes as a, um, from outside the camp. And, and, then, and then next, opposition comes from inside the camp. They hire someone in the camp. They hire someone in the camp to say, come and come, let's lock ourselves in the temple because someone's coming to take your life. I'm going to be your friend. I'm going I'm to squirrel you away so that you're safe. And Nehemiah says, well, why should I hide? If other people are under threat, why should I hide away? And he says, at that point, he realized this person wasn't uh, from God. So firstly, opposition comes from outside, but but next it comes from inside. You know, uh, I think it is a, uh, 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 still a dangerous thing, you know, friends. You don't have to believe everything that everybody says. Sometimes our friends can be the best people in our lives. But sometimes those around us who can sow seeds of doubt, who can say, you know, do you really think that? Do you really believe that? What, why don't you just look after yourself? You go, no, hold on. No, this is what I'm living for. This is what God's called me to live for. This is the purpose that I have in life. We've got to hold on tight, whoever talks to us. You know, one of the most helpful things we can do to resist temptation is to remember that God has called us, you and me, to a great task. Something worth having is worth fighting for. It's true of every believer. However old or young you are, you are called to a tremendous work of God. And, 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 and that task is to model a different lifestyle to society so that those who are being ruined by wrong practices will see something different in you and me. We're to be people who bring peace amidst confusion. We're to be people who stand steady and firm under pressure. We're to be people who live lives that are constructive, not destructive. We're to be people who live lives that reflect the love of God rather than this world. And those who are coming against Nehemiah, they're fueled by jealousy and ambition. Nehemiah is leading this bigger group, this, this group that has so much potential to do so much damage. And they're fueled by that, and they're going, we're gonna, we've got to stop him, we've got to try and slander him or trick him into giving in. 
And I think that attack can come all too easily in our lives. Don't take everyone's advice just because they're friendly to you. It can be totally wrong advice. Always go back to the Word of God. Listen to the wisdom of your Christian community as we together share the vision and the values of following our Lord and Saviour. You have chosen to follow God and to live your life for him. So never put that second in your life. Keep that first at all times. This is what I live for. I live for my Saviour and I live to have him first in my life. And if we follow him with our heart, all our heart, soul, mind and strength and we love our neighbours as ourselves, everything else comes from that. That's all we have to worry about in life. All we have to worry about is loving God and caring for our neighbours. Loving God is a personal thing as well as a corporate thing. Caring for our neighbours is a personal thing as well as a corporate thing. It's about doing it together. Nehemiah says, this is the call of God on my life and it's worth fighting for and I'm not going to let anybody distract me from it. So anything worth having is worth fighting for. And the second thing that comes out to me out of this is that if we fight for the things of God, then we'll know contentment and completion in our lives. Here, Nehemiah has built the walls, it says in verse 16. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. And they realized that uh, the work had been done with the help of God. The leaders of various tribes who had, in a sense, pillaged the land and the city of Jerusalem were suddenly living in fear of these people who'd found renewed confidence in God. Renewed confidence in their calling from God. They'd found confidence again in their purpose in life as the people of God. They'd found confidence to stand as one community under Nehemiah's leadership. They were committed now to living out the things of God. And in so doing, they found completion and contentment in their own lives. And it's interesting that even though they triumphed and the people found that, still the attacks kept coming. And we read at the end of Tobiah, still coming against Nehemiah, it says, in verse 17, it says this, During those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him, because his father-in-law was Sechaniah, son of Aaron, and his son Jehonan was married to the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds, and they, then they told him everything I said. And Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. Here's the thing. Tobiah is protecting his position as a leader of a group of people. Nehemiah is saying it's not about position, it's about the people. That's a different perspective. Tobiah says it's about me, and if you're gathering a group of people, I'm going to try and undo you so that the people don't follow you but follow me. And Nehemiah says, 
It's not about me. It's about the people. It's not about me being their leader. It's about the people. And he actually leaves to go back in the end after 12 years. But he says, it's not about me. It's about the people. It's about the people coming together and understanding what they can do as a community of people together if they wholeheartedly love and live out their lives for God. And it's true in the Christian life, isn't it? Whenever we, whatever we achieve, we never finally achieve everything God has called us to do. We can achieve one thing, and then there's something else to do. There's always a next step. There's always something else to do. And the truth is, there's always a battle. There's always a battle. Firstly, there's a battle for our own hearts, that we would choose to live our lives serving other people. That's a personal battle. I want to put others first in my life. I want to live my life that others would know the goodness and the grace of God. I want to live my life that others would know the blessing of God. The second battle, of course, is a community battle. I want to not just live my life for that, but I'm going to join a community of other people where I will intentionally build friendship and relationship and commit to that, that together we achieve more. Together, everyone will work, will, will achieve more. Together, we'll, we'll make a significant impact. And, and the whole of this letter, the, the whole of this story, this account of Nehemiah, is about what they achieve when they are together. When they say, yes, this is a commitment that I have. That's why we believe in church. That's why we believe in being a community of people, being a family who are committed to one another. Those things worth achieving are worth fighting for. God's purposes are worth battling for. And if you follow his ways and live for his purposes, then we'll see his kingdom come. And you know, there's no word in the Bible for retirement. It doesn't appear. Now, that's good news for some. Others might think it's not such good news. But there is no word for retirement. There's nothing that says you can retire. I keep telling my friend Ray Elliott that. There is no word in the Bible for retirement. It doesn't say, it doesn't say that anywhere. It says we're to live long lives and we're to serve God all our lives. We're to continue to do it. We're to continue to pour our lives out for other people. It's no good expecting to get to 68 or 70 or 72, whatever age it is people might think they might retire at, and think your work is done. It is not done. There's loads to do. There's loads yet to achieve. We might move from one type of work to another, but the work of the kingdom of God is all hands on deck all the time to see his kingdom come. Rick Warren uses this statement in his book, The Purpose Driven Church. He says, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will build a great church. I really like that. A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will build a great church. In other words, if we're committed to loving God, to doing his will, then we will literally grow the kingdom of God. And we can do that by having his perspective in our lives by pouring our lives out for others. We will not be distracted from that ultimate aim of seeing his kingdom come. 
We are to be people who are constantly and continually in prayer in our lives, no matter what happens or how busy life gets. Nehemiah prayed. From his prayer, he got this vision. From this vision, he took it to action. From action, he took it to completion. And he saw something significant happen. And where do we people who also are to pray, Lord, what would you have me do? How would you have me work? How best can I serve that we might see your kingdom come? You know, you and I too, we're to live our lives empowered by the Spirit, constantly open to the voice of God to see his kingdom come in and through our lives, to see his will done in and through our community. We were doing a little bit of that together yesterday. I know it goes on all the time through the church family here, not just through the ministries that we have that are always there, the, uh, the working in partnership with the soup kitchen and the, uh, for the homeless and the Choices Crisis Pregnancy Centre and, and uh, CAP, the, the Debt Counselling Centre and, and uh, um, any number of ministries that there are out there that we have which have all escaped my brain at this very moment but I know there are lots of them. But you know, we do them we do them because we want to see God's kingdom come and people's lives change and that people would know that God loves them and God is for them and that is so worth fighting for. Would you stand with me?